welcome to episode 55 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting live from Rotterdam Police HQ post anti-vax protests, it's Dr. Lequessence. How you doing, Doc? I'm very well, um, and um, so this is becoming a bit of a thing with me recently, that I, I, I appear to enter a kind of fugue state. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> wake up in an undetermined location. Honestly... Powers of teleportation mm. um, have, uh, have never been one of my great strengths. Sure. I've always had to kind of slither from one location to another, um, up until really quite recently. And as I say, what seems to happen is I, I, I enter a fugue state. And, you, you, you're not a spider, are you, Doc? Because spiders can teleport, can't they? But you can't. Spiders can definitely teleport. Yeah. But, uh, um, I mean, it, there's always the possibility that I've acquired some spider DNA. You it's know, true. My, 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 my diet has not always been the most discriminating. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think the vegan association would um, particularly uh, a, a, approve of, uh, of what I eat. Um, so it's not without question that um, because of the, the oddities of my digestive system, which is I don't really digest um, mm. what I eat. I actually take in its DNA as well. You see. Right. How many stomachs have you got these days? Uh, well, I've got four rumen. Right. Um, which have become practically vestigial because I almost never eat vegetables. <laughs> sure. They, they, yeah, um, so they, this is where we get ruminants from, isn't it? Like, like the cows and goats and sheep. That's right, yeah. yeah so sure. uh, I, I, I still, like, um, evolutionarily retain four rumen. Mm. Um, and then, uh, apart from that, I don't so much have um, a stomach as um, something like a grinder, but made out of bone and muscle. Right. Lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, I think at the last count, probably about 140 meters of um, intestine. And it, it's difficult to figure out how that works because it branches and then recombines. Mm. Um, and then partway along its length, bits of it turn into tentacle. Sure. Yeah. When you get a hernia, boy, does the fucking world know about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been the cause of the evacuation of at least one city. Sure. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that one time I had a really bad rectal prolapse. <laughs> very good doc very good um what we've we been listening to um so been listening to stuff um but just this once or just at this time of the year sometimes it's not music um in my run-up to christmas i greatly enjoy reading meditatively reading works of mr james mm-hmm. um and probably about 12 years ago um, some gentlemen began an MR James podcast, which I dutifully downloaded all of the episodes of for my favourite stories. And at the end of November, so beginning to run up to Christmas, I pick a couple of my favourite MR James stories and I, I read along to the commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been reading and listening along to Casting the Runes. I appear to be rolling my R's a lot. I, I, I have a, many opportunities to roll my R's in this episode, and I'm enjoying it. You're, you're getting very Sylvester McCoy on us, Doc. And that's not an insult, by the way. I was about to say, fuck off. Yeah, I was going to say, I realised as you came up my mouth, you might be angry by that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just taking the back for a second. Not often I leave you speechless. Um, I'm used to like people throwing bricks at me and saying, "Get out of here, you subhuman entity." <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, but be, be, being compared to Sylvester McCoy is uh, a bit yeah. strong. No, 
That was a um, low blow. That was a low blow. I, I, I'm going to hit you with another one now, Doc. I, I didn't know you were into Fifty Shades of Grey, Mr. James. my my taste in sm fiction are not nearly that vanilla we'll just put it that way exactly tedious tedious shit yeah if you're gonna do it do it fucking right um that's what i've been listening to um and yeah i've been um i've been meditatively reading along to uh, casting the runes by mr james which is absolutely wonderful wonderful great yeah Did, did you want to tell us anything about it or do you want the listeners to go and kind of discover it for themselves? I think everyone should. The ideal way to to get into Mr. James is to, uh, even though if you're going to do it as a result of me advising you, and I do, then you won't be you won't have discovered it for yourself. But that doesn't matter. So um, you can get a free collection of the works of Mr. James um, from the Gutenberg Press, mm. um, or you can pay pretty much what you want for any kind of cheap edition, second-hand edition, right the way up to the beautifully annotated with autobiographical notes, uh, Oxford University Press edition. Pick a story at random um, and just read it and enjoy. Great. All right, Doc, I'll certainly be doing that. I hope the listeners will too. I've been listening to um, a band called Above and Beyond. Any knowledge of these guys, Doc? No, never no. heard of them in my life. Never heard of them. Um they're formed kind of mid mid noughties, I suppose. Uh, actually, let's have a quick look at the Wikipedia page and tell us. Maybe that'll tell us when uh, when they got together. Formed in two thousand. Right. Um, is, is it what? Is it metal? No, it's not actually. No, no, it's not. Um, they're formed in two thousand in London. Um, they're, they're they're kind of one of the real big hitters in the electronica scene um their genre of note they do play several genres but but the stuff they're most well known for and my preference is their is their trance output um they've got five studio albums i think um and <clears throat> it, it, it just really is top notch Trance, you know, you, you take your kind of Paul Oakenfold stuff from the from the late nineties, early noughties, you know, and that kind of vibe, and they just seem to elevate it somehow. It's so so beautiful at times, um, you know. Just it it really gives you that sense of being, you know, kind of back in the back in the Q Club or something, you know, Atomic Jam in Birmingham. Um, like eat off your fucking face, and you know, just when that when they drop those beats, stuff. Honestly, it's absolutely remarkable. It's transcendental and takes me to takes me to, to takes me to special places. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, it's warm. It's uplifting, and it just it it it, it just comes from such a, a place of deep deep love. I feel you know that they want the world to be a happy happy place and that's how that's how they make me feel i fucking love them oh it's delightful here we go that is absolutely yeah. Delightful. yeah above and beyond go check them out guys absolutely brilliant let's get into chow time because we've got quite a few unfortunately doc this time around um i couldn't remember the name of the iron maiden comeback album you know kind of post blaze bailey when when bruce and adrian returned to the fold um is of course brave new world should have got that shouldn't we doc really yeah um Chromatic Death was the name of the Anthrax track that I couldn't remember. I think I did use the word chromatic, but I just couldn't remember the, the, like the full title. Um, interestingly, it's a cover 
of an SOD track. Um, SOD, any familiarity there? Well, um, we had this discussion in the the last episode. Oh, so you're right. Full disclosure here, um, I now know... Um, ah. It has slipped my mind that you are referring to speak English or die. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it stands for two things, either stormtroopers of death or speak English or die. And, and I think it's kind of interchangeable. Of course, that title is ironic. You know, these are kind of archly kind of anti-racist kind of kind of guys. So they've been deeply ironic there. Made up of SOD, made up, of course, of members of Anthrax and the ever mighty nuclear assault. Go check them out. Um, in the Spirit in Black episode, the Doc here confidently claimed that Reek of Putrefaction was Carcass's second album, the one that where they were starting to develop, you know, things like melody and shit. Um, well, and I then... It's symphonies of sickness, isn't it? Well, exactly, Doc. But then I compounded it by saying that I didn't want to listen to their first album ever, Symphonies of Sickness, because it's too raw. We're both yeah. fucking Doc. It's the other way around, isn't it? Putrefaction came out in 1988... One year later, we got Symphonies of Sickness. Now, oh, we also doubled down, by the way, on actually cutting in a sample from the wrong album into the episode. So sorry about that. Um, but we, we shall flagellate ourselves for 30 minutes apiece as a way of recompense. But, Doc, I think I'll flagellate each other. We'll flagellate each other, absolutely. But then we do that frequently anyway. So. <laughs> I was going to stop. Not much of a punishment, to be honest. Um, but I think I know why we made the mistake. Well, I do too. Go on, tell, you explain, Doc. Well, the, um, the Symphonies of Sickness album has got the track Reek of Putrefaction on it. That's it, isn't it? The Reek of Putrefaction does not have a title track. Track one on Symphonies of Sickness is, drumroll please, The Reek of Putrefaction. We got it. So, it's, you know, I, I think we can forgive ourselves, to be honest. Um, in case there's any ambiguity, I'm talking about the album that's got excoriating abdominal emanation on it. <laughs> that's it. Um, um, and, and exhumed to consume. You got it. Um, quick pause, actually. I'm, you know, their first two albums um, have got... Um, each side has got like a, a, a subtitle basically. I'm just gonna look it up. Let's do a bit of a, a bit of hardcore googling on the fly. Bear with us, bear with us, dear listener. Putrefaction, side A, is subtitled Fecal Disarticulation, um, and side B is subtitled Anal Disgorgement, which is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely delightful, um, and Symphonies of Sickness, side A, is subtitled Requiems of Revulsion, and side B is my favourite of the bunch, I think, Concertos of Carnage. <laughs> um, if I'm right, at least on that second album, all of the all of the solos have got subtitles as well. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah. Um, I distinctly remember that the solo on the aforementioned excoriating abdominal emanation is called mm. 
morbid melody with salt to taste. Oh, great. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah. You've got to love a bit of early carcass. Um, I got all discombobulated and claimed that the Maiden album, Dance of Death's title track, had an alternative title, but kind of riffing around the theme, you know, like Raining Blood, Raining Blood, that kind of shit. It doesn't. It's just <laughs> called Dance of Death 2. But, Doc, I am convinced this is not true. This is the Mandela effect in full force, Doc. I am fucking certain that did not used to be the case. We're in some kind of parallel universe. Um, last one. I said that the original Mafia video game, the 2020 remaster, which I'm currently playing, was released in 2005. It's even older than that, actually, Doc. It was 2005. Two. So that bad boy is almost 20 years old. And in terms, you know, in kind of in video game terms, that is that is deeply, deeply ancient. Yeah. And I mean, get get your video game fact right, because, I mean, those you will be beset by people who are, as you know, so anally retentive that at least one of them will actually suck you inside their anus. I know. I know. You know what they're like. You know what they're like. Do you want a topic? Yes, please. Uh, give me a number, please, between one and six. Uh, three. Number three. Doc, do you get angry when the mainstream pick up on your subculture passions? What make of that? I'm so even worn out on being... I mean, I've, I've just bled out every scrap of anger. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm exhausted on it. Um, mm. I mean... Um, I've been through like five cycles of um, something I'd been into for years when it was either ignored or despised um, and then being picked up and then having the hell marketed out of it um, and then dropped again and then being told, oh, you're not still into that, are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean... It, I'm out of the danger zone now because except for subcultures that are so tiny um, that something to do with them has um, watch counts on YouTube of in the thousands. Yeah. And that's all. Um, I'm, I'm not interested in anything that is ever going to be fashionable ever, ever, ever. Sure. Um, and I don't see modern popular culture throwing up anything that, I'm going to be an early adopter of full disclosure. Um, not that I'm confessing to ever having done that myself because I'd never, um, obviously almost everything I've ever been into has been the result of someone getting me into it. Mm-hmm. Um, although there have been a few things that I've sort of, I've almost picked up by smell. Um, I've almost suspected that such a thing must exist in the world and I've gone looking for it and I found it. Yeah. Um, but so most recently is, um, I suppose, what one might call vaporwave. Um, there's a few things that I have picked up on long after they've been fashionable. Um, and if I tell people I'm into something like that nowadays, I really do make it abundantly clear that, um, you know, this was this was never my thing when it was current. Um, mm. I'm an absolute come lately on this. What is vaporwave, Doc? I've never heard of it. Haha. <laughs> um I think I've got this right. It started off as a joke on a website called um, Hipster Runoff, which has long since, very, very unusually, it's disappeared completely from the internet and it isn't mm. even on Wayback Machine or anything Lord. like that. How do they manage that? 
Um, I think there's um, uh, th th there are some HTML meta tags you can throw, and I, I I think they will stop you that they'll stop InternetArchive.org from from spidering you. Interesting. Yeah. If you want them to. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it's 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 disappeared absolutely comprehensively, um, and one of the like one of the funny things they used to do was to invent more obscure genre names than anybody. So th this this was obviously in the era of, of of just about every artist and every band and every film having its own genre, and they took to making them up. Yeah, just for, just, uh, just for shits and giggles, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, um, just for shits and giggles, and sometimes using words in invented languages as well. Mm. Um, <laughs> I distinctly remember um, at one point, um, I can't even remember who it was, um, but uh, they were referred to as um, uh, slow fnaffle core. And fnaffle, of course. Uh, fnaffle, of course, is not a word. <laughs> I, I thought uh, fnaffle might be, might, might be some kind of like Dutch pudding. Yeah, it might be, hadn't it? Yeah, yeah. And in any case, they invented one called Vaporwave, which is obviously derived from the expression in software marketing, which is Vaporware, which is where you market mm -hmm. software that never actually come, or versions of software that never actually come out. Well, I mean, Vaporware is a big thing in video game, in, in like, the video game scene, you know, because you know, there, there are several games that are considered Vaporware, you know, the, you know, games that were announced, high profile, lots of publicity and fanfare, and just vanish basically, yeah. and, and never actually appear. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so likely that's more where the expression came from than the world of commercial software. Mm. Um, so in any case, they, they started talking about Vaporwave. Um, and some people decided it would be fun to make it. Right. Like, to, to, to take the description from Hips to Runoff. Yeah. Um, of, um, you know, because the, they, 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 they would write invented articles uh, about, you know, like uh, the coolest new Vaporwave band, which mm. obviously didn't exist. Mm. And so people decided they were going to take the description uh, um, um, and, and actually make this. And it kind of took on a tiny little life of its own. Um, and that coincided with my interest in um, the general sort of philosophy. So I, uh, in, in my reading, the, the, the philosophy around the concept of, um, of hauntology um, and very specifically, the part that the past, regrettably, um, doesn't stand any chance of being lost. You, you, you'll never have the thrill of rediscovering a long-lost cultural artefact because nothing is ever lost yeah. now. Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. is archived. Everything is consistently available all the time. And never again will anyone ever have the thrill of poking around a dusty record shop, finding an album they've never heard of, chucking 50 pence at it in the chance... That, uh, uh, with the chance that it's any good and taking it home and discovering it's the best album ever. Like, sure. impossible. Yeah. No. Um, so, um, I suppose, hauntology in music um, is this idea that you you take stuff from sources that are purposefully banal or not long lost, but actually too far to the front of popular consciousness. So... Um, bits of theme tunes from 80s television programs or ideally where you'd get it from is the bit that's left out like something on a really old VHS tape that you've recorded over many times mm. and then right at the end there's the end credits for some program that you taped once and you've got no idea what it was yeah but it's got a really cool bit of theme tune in it mm. so you get that Mm. Now, the, 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 the doc here has actually written several rather good essays about hauntology. You can pimp it if you want, doc. If not, I'll, I'll cut this bit out. Um, 
if anyone would like to take a look at hauntography.com, which mm-hmm. is hauntography.net even, um, which is my um, my attempt to make a practical engineering discipline out of the strictly amateur uh, um, academic and philosophical discipline of hauntology. Um, so I set out imagining that hauntology was the physics and my side was going to be the engineering. Um, so effectively practical applications, um, not as highbrow. Um, I'm not Mark Fisher and I'm not nearly as good as he is. Um, and I am obviously referencing a bunch of his ideas. Um, most people I have asked to read it have found it relatively indigestible, um, but it gives me something to do to keep my tentacles occupied when, when, when I haven't got anything else to do. Yeah, I've read a few of them, Doc, and I enjoyed it. It's a bit impenetrable at times, you know, but, but enjoyable nevertheless, Doc. And I'd, yeah, I'd recommend it. Anybody, go and, go and have a read if you're interested. Um, Anything else to say on that topic, Doc? What do you think? Um, well, it, it's it's a hot potato. It, it, it's 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 a sore point for me, and I'm I'm going to get boring if I sort of keep going on about it too long. Uh, to answer your question, yes, mm. um, it did. Um, nowadays, uh, I mean, like a great many things, once you realise that your anger is just a waste of your own energy, mm. um, you're you're not going to be able to stop people nicking your stuff. Um, your stuff, uh, the stuff you're into, you're not going to be able to stop them remarketing it for a fast buck, um, and then you're not going to be able to stop other people like getting bored of it. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the same page, really. You know, for many years, I'll leave my, leave, you know, get the fuck out of here, mainstream twats. Leave my tattooing alone. Leave my zombies alone. Leave my science fiction alone. But you know, I'm over it, Doc. I'm over it. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast.gmail.com. Let's get on with the show. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we're just going to play the track, pause it from time to time, and have a little chin wag. Today's track is, of course, the one and only Dead Skin Mask. Here we go. <laughs> trying to set up some kind of atmosphere here doc what do you reckon um that opening riff um is the literal equivalent of being masturbated by a bone dry egyptian mummy (laughs) yeah Um, just just terrific well it's weird Mm. um and unnatural Mm. and horrific um, but the experience is actually so unusual and so fascinating. You don't, you, you, you wouldn't put a stop to it, even if you could. <laughs> In the you ultimately start to enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it is sensational stuff, isn't it? You know, um, you, you know, just instant. You know, kind of tingles down the spine, um, hairs on the back of the neck, all that kind of business going on. Um, interestingly, it's kind of a. 
it, it's effectively the first half of the South of Heaven riff. Um, and they're just going to cut it off after eight notes and, it, and do the repeat. Um, if they continued that riff, it would turn into South of Heaven. Um, Good spot. How about that, Doc? Yeah, but I only know that because, you know, because obviously I've learned how to play them. Um, I wouldn't have got that through from ear, just from, like, you know, finger position on the guitar, basically. Um, really interesting, though, isn't it? You know, because the mood from both of those melodies is totally different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, um, South of Heaven is spacious and large-scale and, you know, gl globally apocalyptic. Mm. Um, this is tiny and intimate and claustrophobic mm, mm. it's just where they choose to to start the repeat i suppose isn't it you know it's really really interesting um spoken word as well here doc i presume that's tom i've had to dig around i couldn't confirm that that's tom actually saying the words but i presume it is funny enough though it doesn't really sound like him i know what tom araya sounds like when he speaks that doesn't mm. really sound like him but i presume it must be um so here's another strange thing we've both seen this track performed live at mm -hmm. least once yeah who does the spoken word intro? I can't Tom. remember. Yeah, I mean, Tom does it. Tom does it live. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when he does it live, it sounds like Tom, but this does not. So I, 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 I can't, I've got no explanation. Um, is it the first bit of spoken word? Oh, no, no, no. Um, what's the track, Doc? Off? Uh, Mandatory Suicide's got a bit of spoken word in it as well, hasn't it? Yeah. So the, yes. the second time they're dabbling with a bit of spoken word, I think it's rather effective. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Gristle is the right word. Yeah. Um, so, for reasons that will become obvious to those who don't know, when we come to discuss the lyrics, um, I'm going to have to sort of raise the spectre of, um, do you remember when we went to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time?
was that in Birmingham? No, um, it was um, it was in Dudley. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, I remember. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, go on, Doc. Um, this is an anecdote, um, like in its own right, that I, I, I think is probably best saved for um, another time. But very, very, very long story short, it was the actual um, the the first cinematic release of that movie in the UK since its initial release, and basically the first chance anyone had ever had to see it on anything other than like a, a, a really, really bad mail order bootleg. Yeah, even if you had seen it on a ropey mail order bootleg nothing prepares you for um point number one the sheer volume of it am i right well, the, 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 oh yeah absolutely i mean the, the thing that the, you know the the thing that you take away from the texas chainsaw massacre when you see it on the big screen is just this kind of almost like sense of sensory overload really and, and a big part of that is the yeah is it, it, just the kind of arrow onslaught yeah and i mean it, it's the the sound mix with I have to stress this. If you've only ever seen it on home media, um, you don't get that thing about the sound mix on the 60 millimeter print Mm. is pushed so far that it's almost clipping. Mm. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, what this, when you said that section has got plenty of gristle on it, it makes me think, or they each make, the one makes me think of the other. The opening sequence where um, obviously what turns out to be Junior um, is digging up the bodies and sawing them up and mm-hmm. um, making the sculpture out of them. Um, and you get the sort of very, very brief um, images from the, the photographs of his take, he's, he's taking of his handiwork. Yeah. Um, and it is like saponified, um, um, adipocere, that's it, isn't it? Oh, lovely. That, yeah, the adipocere, that's the, isn't it, that, 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 that's the, isn't that like the, um, a layer, some kind of layer of fat, the, 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 like subcutaneous layer of fat, something like that, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it's a combination of soil chemistry and body chemistry and, and the body fat turns to soap. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that's right. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it links to our, to our other project, actually, because there's a great um, Doctor Who, not quite enemy, actually, but I think you think they're going to be enemies, and they're called the Adipo, and that's all to do with, um, yeah, kind of horrible things happening to, to human bodies, if, if, if memory serves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I wouldn't change the soundtrack of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for anything, but... If you absolutely had to do the then popular thing of putting heavy metal on horror film soundtracks, mm. I think the only possible candidate for that scene would have been that bit. Yeah, Just I think you're right, Doc. I think you're right, Doc. Let's press on. Death with the dead in my dreams. Listen to the such torment in his voice isn't there you know he really he's really going for it here tom um and there's something we don't often get from tom that, that there's um there is torment and that there's there's vulnerability um mm-hmm. it's not um it's not anger from a position of strength mm-hmm. torment of um someone who really needs help and is conscious of the fact that they need help yeah, I suppose we'll get. We'll, 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 obviously, we'll get into that when we get to the to the to the lyrics section. Kind of the the reason he's chosen his kind of vocal delivery. I think it's really really effective. Mm. Yeah. Simple 
how much fun that that riff is to play that that that's spiky lead line is brilliant that is that guitar part um is the best the only possible competition is supernaut by black sabbath that is oh, the yeah. best guitar part that has ever or will ever be written by a human being <laughs> a big claim doc but i'm kind of with you it's absolutely fantastic yeah yeah and you, you know when you learn it on guitar just at that moment, you kind of play, play those kind of spiky lead notes and just that moment when you drop down the guitar and hit those two big power chords, man alive, you feel like a fucking rock star, Doc. Um, when you listen to it, there's obviously no way this can be true, but I feel like you can hear his triceps. So mm. um, when, when, he finish play, when he finishes playing the lead part, um, which I get the idea is on the fat strings, but quite high up the neck. Mm-hmm. He finishes playing the lead part, and then when he drops down to the dun dun dun, it, I almost feel like you you, you can hear his triceps mm. snapping his arm back. At <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a great, incredibly, it's incredibly it, physical. It it, it 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 certainly is. It, it's not quite on the fat strings. I, I think the lead line goes for utilizes the A, the D, and the G. Actually, it goes as high up as the G, uh, just for that last little flurry. Just that last little flurry, you, you get up to the G string. Um, in any case, it's not at the bottom. It, it it's not at the long end of the neck on the thin string, is it? No, no, it's not. You're quite right. You're quite right. Yeah, great description, Doc. I love it. <laughs> Oh, I nearly forgot. We're meant to be playing name that solo, aren't we? Hold on. Here we go, Doc. Let's uh, let's rewind a little bit. Talk me, talk me through. What, what, what do you think you just heard? Like who played that solo? Yeah, yeah. What, what was going on there? I, I can tell you who played that solo easily. Go on. God. <laughs> Brilliant. God yeah. played that solo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and don't even try telling me it's some guy called Jeff or some guy named Kerry because I know <laughs> that. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, but according to Encyclopedia Metallum and according to the video I watched on YouTube earlier today, what in fact we just heard is four separate solos. Um, mm-hmm. It started with Kerry King, then Hanneman picked it up, then King picked it back up, and then Hanneman finished it off, basically. But I think they're wrong. I think you're right, Doc. That, that, was, that can only be the work of the one true Lord. Surely. Surely to God. Yeah. Human beings are not capable. (laughs) 
I'm enjoying this too much, Doc. I reckon we just play the track out. What do you think? Well, uh, um, uh, just break for a second there. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm saying anything that will be surprising to anyone. If you are expecting to get anywhere close to the end of this episode, um, if you're expecting to get to the end of this episode without hearing anything but simple-minded, drooling, wide-eyed adulation from me, it's in, it's in my top five, at least, possibly top three favourite songs ever, ever, ever. Wow, 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 wow. And, it, and it's just going to be gushing praise on my part too. So, yeah, maybe switch off now, guys. There's no point listening any further. <laughs> Let's finish the track off. Here we go. So there we go. That was track five from Seasons in the Abyss. Of course, the one and only Dead Skin Mask. Um, I mean, what's to say, Doc? What on earth is it to say about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is one of the best songs in the world ever. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, um, it's always what I refer to as a breakup song, as in not a song that you listen to after a breakup, but your band writes that track and you just look at each other and go, like, that's it. Yeah, we're done. Um, we're done. We can't beat this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably in music or in songwriting, it's the the closest I've ever come to something like perfect mimesis mm. um, or like perfect onomatopoeia. Um, it sounds exactly like the subject of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that I can come close to, and it's not even, so, there's, there's a couple of songs that come close. Um, which is a, another topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing in art um, that I can think that makes me think of this is Deborah Unger's performance in Crash. The car crash is a liberation of sexual energy rather than a destructive event. Reshaping of the human body by modern technology. Are you badly hurt? Describe it to me. You coming? Who we really are. 
and being aware of the fact that you're being seriously aroused by something that you shouldn't be and is by any normal definition straight out wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Quite obviously, compare and contrast to James Spader's performance in Crash because being aroused by James Spader, there's nothing remotely like wrong or <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's just a perfectly natural human reaction. Yeah, um, I, his performance in that is not as immediately arousing as his performance in Secretary. But I have never had a job before, but I can assure you that I am very excited about this opportunity. All I need is a typist who can answer the phone. You have reached the office of Mr. Edward Gray. (laughs) It's very dull work. I like dull work. I'm not here. How'd it go? I got it. This letter has three typing errors in it. I'm sorry, I'm... I'm... Type it again. This needs more sugar. Six copies of these. What is wrong with you? You can get a much bigger voice out of that tiny throat. This is the office of Mr. E. Edward Gray. (laughs) I'm the type of guy who wants to get married and have a kid. (laughs) If you need any more typing, I can come back later. Thank you, Miss Holloway. Good night. Come into my office. This isn't just about typos. It's your behaviour. Uh, if you've seen James Spader these days, though, Doc, you might, you might, have, a, you might have a change of heart. Um, I once, when I, when I was at college, do you remember, like, at college, you used, on a Wednesday afternoon, it seemed like the college didn't quite know what to do. They didn't have anything in the curriculum. So, that, so that, you know, they, they kind of get you to pick random modules of something. Common core. Common, Common core. core. That's it. Yeah. And, um... One of the ones I took was was was, was um, it was called something like criminal psychology, um, and it, uh, Dr. Keithley. Dr. Keithley, that's the very fella, yeah. and <clears throat> I gave him this this track on tape, um, and because he'd been talking about Ed Gein, and asked him to listen to it, and he said something to me like. You know, when I saw him again, what do you think of it? He said something like really strange. He said, he said, he said, I should, he said, I should contact your parents and let them know that I'm worried about you. But, but, but that song was absolutely fucking brilliant. Something like that. I can't quite remember exactly what he said. Um, well, he was a deeply strange man. Now, wasn't he was. He, he really was. Um, yeah. So he was the allegedly religious studies teacher in a very, very, very conservative, very right-wing, very selective sixth-form college. Mm. Um, and um, he was off his box. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, he, was, he was a practicing Zen Buddhist, or, 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 uh, or so he claimed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could spend all afternoon in, in his study, a big stroke classroom. Um, and you could find books on like everything from men sacrifice cults to, um, I think that's probably the first place I borrowed um, the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey from. Mm-hmm. Um, he had like 16th century occult texts in Latin um, and stuff about Hinduism, as you might expect. Mm. Um, 
I didn't spot anything to do with any aspect of Christianity in his study ever, did you? Mm, no, 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 I did not. No, I, I rather like the guy who, you know, did, 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 a, a, like an admirable eccentric would, would be how I would classify him. Yeah, with, um, just to give you an idea of like how long ago and in what another world these events took place, he also had a very serious preoccupation with serial killers. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I think... I, well, um, why would I not have done? I took the same Common Core course that you did. And yeah, um, it was a course basically about serial killers. Um, and it, um, there was, I, I want to say episode then, because um, it was really, uh, there was an episode of Big Stroke Lesson um, <laughs> on, um, on uh, Dear Old Ian and Dear Old Myra. Uh, sure. There was another one on um, Reg Christie. Mm-hmm. There was another one on Ted Bundy, um, of which more later, of course. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the, the the one that fascinated me the most. And you and I came to the subject from opposite directions because from Dr. Keithley's class, I learned about Ed Gein before I learned about Ed Gein from Slayer. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those subjects that probably anyone who's ever read the story or anyone who's ever read a true crime book comes away from it thinking. Um, probably their most mild reaction would be to come away from it stroking their chin and going you know what truth really is stranger than fiction yeah absolutely yeah if somebody made this up nobody would believe it basically it's one of those isn't it yeah if somebody made it up it would just be no publisher would touch it Mm -hmm. um and even if even if some like appalling skid row grindhouse publisher um, like printed 5,000 paperbacks and sold them in that horrible bookshop in the subway under Smallbrook, Queensway. Do you remember the one? I, I certainly do, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that, that's, that's the only place that would ever reasonably have stocked it. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, you know, the only review it would ever have got would have been, well, um, the guy's imagination has clearly just completely run away with him. Mm. Um, crime fiction... Um, can be fantastic that it at least needs to contain some element of believability and nobody <laughs> believe that stuff like this could happen sure sure look anything else to say on the music i mean obviously we both absolutely love it um anything more insightful or should we move it just get into the lyrics um just i, I did warn you there was just going to be some uh, like some uncritical fawning admiration i don't know how human beings can write something that emotionally evocative uh-huh. i don't I, I don't know i must have listened to the song in the hundreds if not the thousands of times mm. um it's been on compilations i've made for myself and for other people uh, so i mean I, I've, I've listened to it many times like on one of my compilation tapes or one of my compilation like mp3 um directories um and it's often been the only metal track um in the my favorite songs and it, it, it's made it onto every single one of my favourite songs, compilations that I've made since probably I first heard this, and I'm going to say in the year 1992. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that gives us some gives us some uh, perspective on where you're coming from. I think we dive into the lyrics, Doc. Yeah. Welcome to part three of the show. Here we're going to go through the lyrics and talk about them, really. Um, I started off. Oh, but before that, though, Doug, I've corrected some of these lyrics, you know, because the um, 
unusually, the Encyclopedia Metallum page, some of the lyrics were, were, were not quite correct. So I've corrected them as I've gone through it. Um, so as we read through them, if, if your source is incorrect as well, then I'll, I'll just point them out as we go, Doc. All right. Yeah, this is my first time to ever read these lyrics. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I've, I've had my interpretation of them in my head. Mm. Um, and so actually, whatever I'm reading, um, these are not the lyrics that are burned. So some of mm. these lyrics are not the ones that are burned into my skull. Mm. Uh, do you want to give us the first six lines, Doc? Um, how I've waited for you to come, I've been here all along, and now that you've arrived, please stay a while, and I promise I won't keep you long, I'll keep you forever. There we go. Yes, yeah, so obviously that's like the spoken word sequence. It's setting the scene here, isn't it? You know, it's letting you know menacing shit is coming, basically, in the, in the next few verses. Straight the skin with my fingertips So brush a dick of the flesh a piece of the meat Provoking images, delicate features so smooth A pleasant fragrance in the light of the moon Graze the skin with my fingertips. The brush of dead, cold flesh appease the means. Provoking images, delicate features so smooth. A pleasant fragrance in the light of the moon. And I, I, I just have to stop there for a second because yeah. of more fawning. I'd just like to drool over how evocative and how creepy and how nasty. Mm. Like everything from the choice of words... Um, for obviously which there are many, many synonyms. Mm -hmm. But the poet's art of choosing the correct words which have the correct sound. And then even the meter, um, yeah. it, it's, it's the meter of nasty, creepy, perverted fingers mm -hmm. like groping and clawing and pawing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I, I kind of think of it like... Um... Like, like, you know, like, like the dread sound of footsteps approaching, you know, you're kind of hidden under the bed and there's, the, 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 you know, the, it, it's pitch black and just that dread sound of footsteps approaching. And as it, as it gets closer, they seem to get faster and faster and faster. And I think that's what's happening with the meter here, Doc. I think it's absolutely sensational. Let's just pick up the, that, that one line. Because uh, there's there's so many poet, poetic devices at work in this one, the brush of dead cold flesh appeased the meat. So now this, um, this is one that I've corrected, Doc. I think he says the brush of dead cold flesh appease the need, not the I means. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. um, but so you've got. Um, I'm not sure about this, and I, I probably should check it out um, or consult with someone who knows this stuff better than I do. But I think it's assonance, which is where you have the the rhyme, the, the two bits of the rhyme in the middle of the word as opposed to the end. Um, and you've got appease the me, mm -hmm. appease need. You, sure. you've, you've got that e, e. Yeah. Yeah. Which is obviously redolent of point number one, every horror film you've ever seen, which is always 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 got some e e e yeah or or like the, the 
of a door, you know, rusty hinges on a door that's kind of, kind yeah. of creaking open in the dead of night. Yeah, rusty hinges on the garden gate or mm -hmm. the creaking of like long neglected medieval torture apparatus. Or, or again, you know, you're hidden under the bed and it's that creak of floorboards. Yeah. As the killer's kind of coming to get you, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, you've got this other instance of, um, of Aston's in here. It's the brush of dead cold flesh. Oh, yes. And you've got that shh, shh, yeah. repeated mm -hmm. sound. Yeah. You could get a second year Englet tutorial out of that line mm -hmm. um, with no trouble whatsoever. That, that, that kind of SH, that shh kind of syllable there, you know, I mean, most famously, I would say, in horror, exploited by, is it, is it Henry Mancini? I think I want to I, I say Henry Mancini, the composer of, um, you know, oft-reviled oft horror franchise Friday the 13th. Well, that's Jason's sound, isn't it? Yeah. But, it, but, it, but it's the sh sound. Yeah. Um, it's exactly that syllable, Doc. Let's chuck it up for chow. I'm going to say that's our Bernstein, mate. Mm. Um, it's possible. I'll, I'll pull that name out of my arse. It's totally possible. Yeah. Um, right. Um, I'm going to say it's Henry Manfredini. I think that's the chap's name. Ah, there uh, we go. I said Mancini, uh, didn't I? Yeah, go on. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't think it's the guy who did the, um, the Pink Panther. Chow time, motherfucker! That one. Don't worry about that. But then yeah. I don't. I, I don't think it's the younger cousin of the guy who did West Side Story either. So. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America. Buying on credit is so nice. One look at us and they charge twice. I have my own washing machine. What will you have though to keep clean? <laughs> Skyscrapers bloom in America. Cadillacs zoom in America. Industry boom in America. Twelve in a room in America. Right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, 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 we'll sort that out in the edit basically and, and we'll chat on it for next time. Um, yeah. Let, let's give you the next four lines. Death with the dead in my dreams. Listen to the hollow screams. The dead have taken my soul. Temptations lost our control. Dance with the dead in my dreams. Listen to their hallowed screams. The dead have taken my soul. Temptations 
lost all control. Whoa, Doc. Whoa. Listen to their hallowed screams. What does that word mean to you, Doc? Hallowed. Um, made, made sacred. Yeah, that, 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 that's my interpretation. You know, like a, a graveyard is hallowed, isn't it? Well, I, I think it's something that's profane or mundane that through a ritual has been rendered into a sacred object. Oh, really? So it needs to have been, I didn't get that from it, so it needs to have been something kind of unholy previously that has now become holy. Not necessarily unholy, just um, uh, uh, just mundane, just um, without doubt of the earth. Ah, uh, so a graveyard does qualify, because yeah. that was just like an ordinary soil at one point, and now it's hallowed soil, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I think the most literally canonical example you can think of would be taking some perfectly normal bread and um, casting a magic spell on it, so it actually becomes the flesh of Jesus. Sure, yes, it's trans- the, the, the transfiguration of Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well certainly. That, well, I mean, that's what I'm going to be. Uh, that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning, Doc. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything to say on these four lines, Doc? Um, uh, even I can over go overboard with the fawning adulation. Um, anyone mm. who's listening to this, just. Um, I was going to say, look at, better still take your notebook and just write down these lyrics and, mm. and, and read them and burrow into them. Um, just imagine this is the now hollow body cavity uh, of a corpse you have recently exhumed mm. um, and just bury your head inside it and mm. inhale the vapours. Mm-hmm. Tom is writing from the perspective of Ed Gein, isn't he, clearly? Um, I don't know what some of it is. Um, Mm -hmm. The next stanza, um, which I'll read now. Go for it. Simple smiles elude psychotic eyes. Lose all mind control, rationale declines. Empty eyes enslave the creations of placid faces and lifeless pageants. I mean, just once again, however good is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, those are not... I always assumed that this was Ed Gein's psychologist making a report to the Board of Psychologists to determine whether he should go to prison or the loony bin. This particular... Yeah, that, that particular... This particular stanza, these, these four lines. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Um, because point number one, the, the language is just too sophisticated for an illiterate mm. half like Ed Gein to ever use. And I suppose also, Ed Gein himself would not describe himself as psychotic, would he? Well, he wouldn't know what the fucking word meant. No, well, but, 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 but take that, you know, remove that from the equation. If he was, de- if he were describing himself, he would not describe himself as mad or insane, would he? No, um, I think he's on record as saying, uh, "I think I'm a good man." Mm. Oh, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons, since we mentioned transubstantiation, one of the reasons he thought he was a good man um, was because he didn't go eating for eating flesh and drinking blood, because that was a Catholic thing, and, 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 and his mom wouldn't have approved. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, you know, for people that maybe aren't quite aware, you know, Ed Gein was like a real simple kind of farm farm boy, wasn't he? Basically, you know, a bit a bit of a halfwit, if if if, if truth be told, um, an absolute halfwit. Mm. And, and I mean, if you um, if you ever see a picture of him. Um, he clearly never quite got the hang of dressing himself, and he certainly mm. never quite got the hang of shaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did he get away with it, Doc? For you know, for, for the period of time that you did it, if he's so dumb, you know, if he's such a halfwit, how did he get away with his crimes for so long? Right. So, um, here's something important that needs to be said because I mean, uh, it, in as much as you can character assassinate a gibbering lunatic. Um, I think Ed Gein has been a little bit characteristic. Um, it's not known for a fact that he was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, murderer, um, the only murder that he is known for sure to have been committed was, I, I believe her name was Mary Borden, right. and she worked in the village, um, in the, the general store in town, um, and he shot her with one round in the back of the head with a hunting rifle at a range of about 10 feet. Right. In other words, she wouldn't actually have known a thing about it. Uh-huh. Um, the idea of Ed Gein abducting people and torturing them and skinning them alive and is, is completely made up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's only known to have committed one murder. Mm-hmm. Um, he may also have um, beaten his brother unconscious and left him to die in a brush fire um, because it was known that they were on bad terms because his brother had said something bad about their mom. Um, the the bodies that were found on the like the Gein property, yeah, were primarily taken from local graveyards, weren't they? Um, not particularly local. Um, he he would um he drove like I believe several hundred miles mm-hmm. to acquire them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the uh, how did he get away with it? So, uh, I think generally speaking, there was considered to be too much effort and too much ingenuity involved um, for a, an absolute rambling halfwit like Ed Gein mm. to have pulled it off by himself. It wasn't known at the time that um, he had an accomplice who was an, an even more soft in the head, half-witted old retard than he was, um, who was sort of like his, um, <laughs> if you can believe this, kind of like uh, Lemmy to Ed Gein's George. Um, jo- uh, uh, Ed was the brains of the outfit. And he appears to have had this great lumbering halfwit who do what Ed Gein told him, mm-hmm. and who actually did the digging up of the graves and the lifting of the coffins. But if you didn't know about that guy, I don't think anyone would have looked at Ed Gein and thought that he would have had the imagination or possibly even the physical ability to have dug up a grave and broken open a coffin and, and, and lifted a corpse out. Here's a bit from uh, Wikipedia that I think is, is worth reading. Uh, Gein admitted to stealing from nine graves from local cemeteries and led investigators to their locations. Uh, the tops of the boxes were about two feet below the surface in sandy soil. Um, the test graves were exhumed because authorities were uncertain as to whether the slight Gein was capable of single-handedly digging up a grave during a single evening, but they were found exactly as Gein described. Um, two of the exhumed graves were found empty. One casket was empty. One casket Gein had failed to open when he lost his pry bar, and most of the body was gone from the third grave. Thus, Gein's confession was largely corroborated. Yeah. Um, 
and then of course we get into the interesting um i mean as if that's not interesting enough like the, the, the interesting aspect of his kind of mother fixation um soon after his mother's death gene began to create a woman's suit so that he in quotes he could become his mother to literally crawl into her skin end quote Gein denied having sex with the bodies he exhumed, explaining they smelt too bad, in quotes. Um, during the state crime laboratory interrogation, Gein also admitted to the shooting death of Mary Hogan, the one you were talking about, a tavern owner missing since 1954, whose head was found in his house. But he later denied memory of the details of her death. There we go, Doc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Grizzly shit going on, Doc. It's... It, it really is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, if, if there wasn't, uh, if there wasn't like countersigned reports, crime scene reports by real actual big city detectives, um, then I would still be dubious about whether it wasn't just the overheated imagination of a small town where nothing ever happens. Sure. Um, listeners, if you don't know about this stuff, and if you're a Slayer fan, I don't see how they couldn't. <laughs> um, so we're, 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 on, we're on our way to compiling a bit of a, leading, uh, a reading list now. Um, and just uh, grab some reliable material. So um, nothing with a red cover, no, nothing with a red cover called something like Grizzly True Crimes. <laughs> There's lots of perfectly serious works. Um, on this particular subject and sociologically psychologically um, and economically it's absolutely fascinating um, mm -hmm. I suppose the most just like you said as if all of this isn't quote unquote interesting yeah the most yeah. the most interesting part for me um, is the real actual artistic imagination that Ed Gein displays uh, I mean if I'm tempted to say, um, if he hadn't been a halfwit from a tiny rural town and he'd, he'd, he'd lived a bit later on, um, he could have been considered up there with Damien Hurst and, sure. yeah. um, and Jeff Coons and people like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you, you're not wrong, Doc. It's very interesting, isn't it? You know, that, that, you know, the delineation between the ghastly and the artistic never more potently demonstrated than, than, than in this particular situation. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Um, just for completion's sake, um, <clears throat> final bit from Wikipedia that I'm going to read, and this is to do with kind of, you know, what happened at the end of Gein's trial. Um, on, November, on November the 21st, 1957, Gein was arraigned on one count of first degree murder, uh, where he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Gein was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent, thus, quotes, unfit for trial. He was sent to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, um, a maximum security facility in Wilpen, Wisconsin, and later transferred to the Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, so there we go. Yeah, kind of never really seems to have faced trial by, by reasons of insanity. I mean, it's hard, it's hard for me to come to any conclusion other than, um, well, that time something approaching justice got done. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for sure, you could be executed or imprisoned forever for cold-blooded first-degree murder. Um, but I think judging by his conduct after incarceration, 
um, which is to say he did nothing bad ever right. or anything even remotely antisocial. Like mm-hmm. he, he, he wasn't even written up as being caught masturbating or playing with his own feces or anything. Right. Yeah. 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 Actually, he did go to trial here. Look, November the 7th, 1968, which lasted one week. A psychiatrist testified that Gina told him that he did not know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. Um, dot, dot, dot. At the request of the defence, Gina's trial was held without a jury. Um, Gina was found guilty by Golimar, the judge, on November the 14th. The second trial dealt with Gene's sanity. After testimony by doctors for the prosecution and defence, Golmar ruled Gene not guilty by reason of insanity and again ordered him committed to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. And Gene spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital. So insanity, then for whatever reason, they decided actually we can try, you know, mentally sound to be tried again. And then for a second time, he was, he was deemed, you know, not, not mentally sound enough to actually be held accountable for his actions. It's fascinating, Doc. It really is. Um, and this is kind of, this is the first of Slayer's trilogy of identifiable serial killer songs, isn't mm-hmm. it? Well, I mean, don't put a gun to my head, guys. But yeah, I, I think we've got, um, what would be the next one? Um, 213, which is Jeffrey Dahmer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then is it is it is it Cult, maybe, which is Bundy? I could be wrong about that, guys. Apologies. Um, did Slayer ever do a song about John Wayne Gacy? I don't know. No, I think we've spoken about this before and we weren't sure then, were we? But we'll come to it in the fullness of time if they did. What about this uh, This word pageant stock? What, what's, the, the, of, pl- of placid faces and lifeless pageants. Because pageants, that's a real kind of American phenomena, isn't it? It's, um, well, it, it, it's a spectacularly gruesome and twisted and ironic use of, of, of this word. Um, in Europe, pageant would normally mean a state occasion um, with the armed forces in full dress uniform and the head of state um, in their robes or costume of state. Yeah. Um, it's um, in the US, unless I've got this very badly wrong, it's the word they use for uh, what we call beauty contests. That's right, yeah, the beauty pageants, basically, yeah, where, they, where they parade around 70-year-olds and put them in high heels and fucking makeup. I think that's a particular, like, paraphiliac subculture of it. Mm, okay. Um, but um, because of, um, once again, um, I think I've got this right. Even many very conservative places in the US um, were permitted to hold beauty pageants, including ones with swimwear, mm-hmm. um, so long as um, it was presented as a, a tableau. Um, so, in other words, the... Um, you close the curtains in the town hall or whatever, and then the, the models or the contestants would arrange themselves, and then the curtains would open again. And as long as they didn't move, yeah, um, then that was considered acceptable. Sure, that, 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 that's reminiscent of look, the, the obscenity laws in America in the 60s. I seem to remember, yeah, strippers can't move exactly. Yeah, so you, so the woman could be naked as long as they were motionless, basically. And yes, doesn't that just make it even more fucking weird? Yes, it does. You know, because, you know, we're kind of staring at naked corpses now, basically. Isn't it odd? Well, um, the use of the word, and it, it, it's a fantastic bit of social commentary on on, on, um, on the part of Slayer, isn't it? That um, by sort of constructing these these motionless, 
beauty pageants mm-hmm. um, and making real, actual, living flesh and blood women impersonate corpses. Sure, that um, that is necrophilia. But and, and there's your lifeless pageant, isn't it? Basically, yes. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, Doc. I'm going to hit you with the next two lines because I think I think they're pretty straightforward. Depths of a mind insane, fantasy and reality are all the same. I mean, there's nothing really to say there, is there? Although I was guilty of that last episode. Do you remember when I, when I described the, the sounds of an MRI machine? The same. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm the same as Ed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do, do you want to close it out for us, Doc, in terms of the lyrics? <laughs> Graze the skin with my fingertips. The brush of dead, warm flesh pacifies the means. Incised members, ornaments on my being, adulating the skin before me. Very good. Very, very good. So we've got that repetition. Um, but he's flipped the, the word here, pacifies. And again, I think, I think he says the needs, actually, not, not the means. Because um, in the first verse, he says, appeases, doesn't it? Appease the need. And yes, he would say yes. pacifies. So, you know, he's got his thesaurus out, basically, and, and kind of, you um, know, found well, it. Well, do you think there's a reason for that change, Doc? Um, yeah, they're, um, they're two different stages in um, childcare. Go on. Uh, well, appeasement, mm-hmm. so stuff the tit in its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Very delicately put, Doc. Yeah, go on. Followed by pacification, which sure. is wave the, wave the rattle at it. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and in fact... Although that's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you say appeasement, kind of st- stick the tit in, so you're talking about like the dummy. But Americans call that a pacifier, don't they? So they, 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 they yes. it seems to me like that, you know, the, those two phases are quite blurred um, there, Doc. No, I, um, I think appeasement, in other words, um, letting the, 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 the screaming little mite have what it a, a bite tit, I actually meant a live tit that wore milk spurts out of. Sure, okay, fair enough, yeah. Um, and then <laughs> uh, the... the, the the, I don't know why that's tickled me so much, Doc. It's very uh, fun. Just the way you expressed it was so funny. <laughs> they're called breasts and everyone has I, I know, it's true. I'm big, uh, I know. Yeah. You took me by surprise, Doc. It's all right. I think the reason the rubber one is called a pacifier um, is because it, it fulfills the pacification role by being a simulacra of yeah. the tool of appeasement. Correct. Of course. Yeah. I do um, understand. I'm, I'm, I'm just drilling down. I, I do get it. I'm just drilling down, yeah. really, Doc. Um, so... Um, food, then amusement, if you like. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously alluding to the fact that, once again, I don't know about this for a fact, but um, there was the, the, there were bits of people found in pans on Ed Gein's stove, and it's suspected that he'd at least experimented with cannibalism. Sure, yeah. Even, even though he, you know, he claims to have found it revolting because it kind of went against his, his upbringing. Um, yeah. You know, may, maybe the demons inside him kind of overcame that revulsion at some point um yeah um so effectively we've got um we, through a metaphor for childcare, which is a very loving nurturing thing we've got this concept of appeasement food and pacification amusement 
So things he would eat and then things he would play with. Sure. Um, it's a bit horrible, isn't it? It certainly is, Doc. Yeah. What about this third line? Incised members, ornaments, ornaments on my being. Now, if, if something is incised, it's like carved or cut into, isn't it? Um, um, yeah. um, and the, the, the word that, that, that I'm curious about is members. I mean, I mean, are they talking about penises? I'm just trying to get to the... Um, These were members there. What do we think? Ed, um, Ed Gein was initially surprised that women didn't have penises and mm. he was disappointed because he wanted to collect them. Right. <laughs> uh, and it, it, I, I think he, bought, he went to the library and read an encyclopedia and sort of figured out that Vulva did the same job, right. that, that um, they're what women have instead. Sure. Um, and he wished to, uh, in, in, in completing his flesh suit, he wished to add many preserved vulvas mm. onto it in various places, but he, he had a very hard time curing them. Mm. Mm. Um, Good Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 no, yeah. Chur it's no chorizo, is it, Doc? No. 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 <laughs> absolutely, I mean, absolutely ghastly. Do you, uh, um, <laughs> should I make a terrible joke here about, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll eat as much pussy as anyone ever wants me to. But, sure. You know, I, 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 I kind of prefer it when it's warm and vibrant. That's right. And actually connected to a live woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and then adulating the skin before me. You know, obviously, obviously this is the, the doc, you know, the most direct reference to the, to the flesh suit, isn't it? The dead skin mask. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, um, adulation is the, um, the part of liturgy that follows Hallamant, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. So, and, and, um, after, after the sacrament is hallowed um, mm -hmm. and turned into a sacred object, it's mm -hmm. then adored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know there is. So, you know, presumably, Gein here had a sense of adulation, you know, for for this kind of woman's suit that he was creating, um, akin to, you know, the adulation that a deeply Christian, like a deeply religious Christian person would have for the the cru like the image of the of the crucifix, basically something like that. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Um, what Ed Gein did, um, although grisly enough, is it actually very far from, um, let's say, Native American rituals involving the skins of non-human mm -hmm. creatures, mm -hmm. um, you know, which are obviously considered nowadays, they're no longer considered to be um, pagan idolatry or primitive barbarism that then that, that they're now treated with a great deal of respect is is there a great it, i mean is there really a lot of difference between them well so, i mean sam raimi made made much um you know out of the the, the hor horrification if such a word exists of um you know those kind of trophies that like trophy hunters put on their fucking wall like the heads of stags yeah. and things you know um you know, decorating your house with, you know, the, the severed heads of, of butchered animals or, you know, rugs made out of bear skins and things with, with, the, with the head of the bear still attached. <laughs> I don't think there's a million, I, I don't think there's a million miles between them, Doc, to be honest. Um, I always, I can never get this image of my head out of Mrs. Gein when she was mm. alive, being obviously a bit of a domineering old matriarch. Mm. I can never get the idea out of my head that she had one of those, um, Fox fur stoles made out of a real fox with the head sure. and with, with the head and tail still attached. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of those hats with a like one of those taxidermy hats. Mm, mm. 
Mm, or like, um, a, like a Davy Crockett, like raccoon hat with a, with, with a raccoon tail still still stuck on. Um, that's a candidate. What I actually meant was, um, I think at least one of my very elderly relatives had one. And it, it, it's a, a lady's hat, um, sort of very typically worn by family matriarchs. And it was made out of an almost wholly, entirely complete taxidermized bird. Wow. Oh, blimey. Um, yeah. With, mm-hmm. with, like, with, with the tail feathers down the back mm. um, and the wings pinned in position and the fucking head on the front. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like something from, um, I don't know, um, what's the name of it? Like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, that, you know some, some, some crazed enemy from one of those kind of movies. Or, or the Black Guardian from Doctor Who, of course. The Black Guardian from Doctor Who. Or mm. a, a sort of really grisly version of, like uh, some sort of Egyptian god you know the, mm. the, the sort of one Egyptian god that's normally depicted as having a cobra in the place of its third uh, as, as, as a third eye sure yeah sure Doc any more thoughts on the lyrics what do we think my thoughts are this um, listeners take these lyrics away read them and reread them and just appreciate them yeah. and um Assuming you haven't already, 30 years hence, um, you'll still be appreciating them. Sure. It's absolutely correct. It, 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 it's masterful, isn't it? You know, kind of to, to match the, the mastery of the music, we've got these, these words to, to utterly, utterly complement it. Just, just brilliant. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to give you our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have missed. Um, writing credits here, Doc. Music by the one and only Jeff Hanneman and lyrics by Tom Araya. Really right at the top of his game here, Doc. Um, good to set list. This was played 1,653 times, putting it in sixth position overall. Um, Maybe, Doc, you can guess the first and last play venues because it's pretty bloody predictable. It's just rem- whether, whether you remember what we've said before. Well, the first one is um, the place in um, like rural New York in, in Poughkeepsie. Or, Correct. Um, the Chance, Poughkeepsie, on the se- se- 7th of September, 1990. Um, and the last one. Now, the last play of the last song was at um, uh, Cub and Hell, wasn't it? It was, but, but not this one, actually. Not this one. Okay. Uh, would you like to correct me? It, of course, it's the it's inevitably Slayer's last ever gig, um, November the thirtieth, twenty nineteen. The oft mentioned the Forum in Inglewood, Duck. Yeah, all of the big hitters they played them that night. According to Loudwire, um, Dead Skin Mask they put it in fifteenth position overall. Surprisingly low. Mm. Um, here's what they say: Dead Skin Mask is an ode to Ed Gein, known for his gruesome acts of transforming human carcasses into everyday items, including masks. Araya, Slayer's chief wordsmith, a, po- I mean, a little pause there, but anyway, Araya, Slayer's chief wordsmith, places himself in the deranged mind of the Wisconsin killer as a song slips from barren, sustained chords to a double kick-fed chorus, toying with the energy. I mean, it's not a great right because it... I definitely yeah. don't agree that Araya is Slayer's chief wordsmith. I think he contributes to writing lyrics, but at this point, he was far from it, was he? King and Hanneman have written far more lyrics than, than Tom Araya did. Definitely. Yeah, so I don't know what they're talking about sometimes. Um, final thoughts, Doc? This is not a long song, and it's not best served by a long episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've gushed enough. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, 
the, but then there are literally not enough great things that I can say about the song. Sure, sure. It's 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 just perfection, isn't it? It's yes. this is Slayer perfection, isn't it? Well, it's it's the third piece of Slayer perfection in a row. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. I think you. I think you're probably right. Yeah. It, it, and no, the, 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 there's not much more that, that I can add. Actually, you know, it's it, 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 it. You know, if if somebody said to me, I've heard of this band Slayer. What they're like. I think, you know, very probably this is the track I would play. Hmm. You know, just to give them a, you know, just to give them that that sense because it's got the melody, it's not too fast, you know, which might put people off, and it's got fascinating story behind the lyrics. Um, of course, the gruesomeness might might put pe some people off, but if that's the case, Slayer ain't the band for you anyway, so who cares? Um, that's about it, Doc. I mean, of course, we've got to pronounce our scores, but it, it is with... With, with, with in, you know, absolute inevitability that you're going to say that you give it one million, 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 <laughs> million skulls. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's and it's the same for me as well, really. You know, it, of course, this get this gets ten Moldrimo schools out of ten. That's it then, Doc. We've done. Um, the only way from here is down. So let, 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 let's quit the podcast. Um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Instead, join us next time for track six from Seasons in the Abyss, which is, of course, Hallowed Point. See you then. Yeah, I mean, the oh. podcast the podcast rationally is dead, but are we going to leave it at that? No. We're going to dig it up, um, and we're going to make more podcasts out of it. We're going to grind this thing into the fucking ground until everybody is utterly sick and tired of it. That's our promise to you, listeners. See you next time, Doc. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.